Well, we are in a series in uh, Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, and uh, I, I for one, have been enjoying it, and that's, that's the main thing. <laughs> it's not the main thing. But Tim Keller uh, calls the, uh, the letter to the Galatians gospel dynamite, and there is method in the madness here. There is a purpose behind usually most of the things that we do. It's, sometimes it's hidden from view. Sometimes it may be hidden from your minds. Uh, but the purpose in my heart, at least, in terms of uh, our decision to journey through Galatians together, is really that we as a congregation, as a church, or a series of congregations now, would receive something of, would uh, appreciate a deeper measure of, and would encounter the gospel of Jesus. Because we have a vision here to see the church on fire and the city alive. And fundamentally, that is a vision for renewal. That's what it is. It's a vision to be renewed in faith and in life with Jesus and to see that spreading across this city, across this region and beyond. And that, we can't have that. We can't see that. We can't experience that unless we understand what God in Jesus Christ has done for us. And Galatians felt like the best place to go. In fact, Romans felt like the best place to go, but that was too much for me to bite off. It was too much for me to chew on. And so we've gone to Galatians, which is just a little bit more manageable. Now, I don't think I'm saying anything uh, too revolutionary when I say that a lot of us feel like we need to be something that we're not in order to be okay with ourselves or in order to persuade other people, perhaps, that we are okay, that we are acceptable. It feels like at times, and maybe you've experienced this, and maybe I'm the only insecure person in the room. It may just be that uh, God wants to highlight me as the only person who thinks like this, but at times it feels like this mode of operating is, as, as human beings, our default setting. Part of the human condition. Well, we may wish that we were richer. We may wish that we were cleverer. I know this isn't the case for any of you, but some people wish that they were better looking, braver, uh, more insightful, wiser, more successful. At times, our, our sense of identity, meaning, and worth can be tied to our performance, to outcomes, measurables, results. Fill in this sentence. If I was just a bit more blank, then I'd be okay. What's the blank for you? There's something I reckon you'll fill. You could fill in there and you would say, okay, well, if I just had a bit more of this, if I just had a bit more charisma, maybe, a bit more faith, a bit more confidence, a bit more whatever, we've all got something that fills that blank. It's almost as if we could fill in that blank, then, then we would be able to justify our existence. I'm certainly familiar with this outlook. I, I, in my family, winning is the currency. Competition has been, some of you have played on the golf course with me, you know that this isn't always how it works out for me, but this is always my aim. In my family, in the Hughes family, competition has been the currency. We, whenever we gather for, for sort of whatever family dynamic it would be, whatever family celebration, if there's any kind of opportunity to create winners and losers, then we're there around the table, tennis uh, table. It's not ping pong, folks. It's much more serious than that. 
It's table tennis. That's what it is. Uh, around so in the garden, whatever. We create environments where people can be winners, people can be losers. You know, it's great for a family party, but it's a disastrous way to operate a human existence. It is exhausting to live in that way, to divide the world between winners and losers, because the, the point is every day as you leave your front door, you're either a success or you're a failure. That's the way that that, that's the way that, that goes. That I've tried it. Another way to justify existence was trialed in the 80s and 90s. And it was an attempt, I suppose, by psychologists to, to um, separate existence, identity from performance. It was known as the self-esteem movement. Some of you will have heard of it. As I said, it sought to detach identity from performance by telling everyone they were great. And this is, this is where the whole sort of, uh, and some of you have seen this at your children's schools, the uh, rewards for showing up came for, you know, that you came 14th, fantastic. Here's the 14th place prize. Everyone gets a trophy. This came from the self-esteem movement, right? And so young people were told things such as, believe in yourself, love yourself, anything is possible, you can do anything if you believe, never give up on your dreams or you are special. This is the Disney approach to securing identity. This is the movement, as I said, that gave us trophies for presentation. The idea that if you just show up, then you are a winner. Unfortunately, it didn't work. Instead of making people happy, the result of the self-esteem movement was quite the opposite. People actually became measurably less happy, measurably more anxious. That what psychologists learned is that by trying to build self-esteem without associated increases in competence and effectiveness, people didn't get happier. The problem with the second movement is that there was no under, undergirding, there was no under-the-surface reality to it. There was no foundation. What we need as God's church what we need as human beings is a place to draw our identity from, our self-worth from, that is both resilient and realistic. Where are we going to find that from? Well, fear not, friends. The Apostle Paul has the answer. Here's what we read in Galatians in chapter 2, reading from verse 15, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is, justified, is not justified rather by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one, will be justified. But if, in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves among, also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, 
but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As background, uh, recapping what we've seen so far in Paul's letter to the Galatians, Paul has been arguing throughout this letter with a group of people who have joined the church, the assembly, the community of Christians in Galatia. And what they've been proclaiming to them is another gospel. And the gospel runs something like this, that you Galatians, it's fantastic that you received uh, the truth about Jesus, the proclamation that uh, Jesus is the king. It's fantastic you received that. What you need in order to be fully converted, to go the whole way, is also to follow the Jewish law. And as part of that, you need to be circumcised. It's as if these these missionaries who came after Paul had moved on, what they were saying is you're almost half converts until you follow the Jewish law with its rigorous command, 613 of them, the cornerstone, if you like, of which was circumcision. That's what you need to do to be worthy. Let's put it in the language that we've been using today. That's what you need to do to secure your identity. That's what you need to do to justify your existence. That's what these missionaries have said. And and Paul is sort of in a fit of rage. Let's call it what it is. He's really, really angry. He pulls no punches. He's raging. As we've said, there's no Thanksgiving letter uh, section whatsoever in this letter. Compare it to something like Philippians. He is He's off the hook. He is just completely no holds barred in his uh, critique of this approach. To follow the law in this way, Paul says, is, is to give up everything that God has been doing in you. And here's his language today. He says that we know that a person is not justified. By the works of the law, but by faith in Christ. Here Paul uses a word which is central to the whole argument of Galatians, but which we actually haven't come up uh, with up, up until now. The word is justified. We know that a person is justified, is not justified, sorry, by works, or is justified not by works of the law. Justified. As we've seen so far, it is often our desire to justify ourselves that can lead us to taking extraordinary lengths. The word here, justification, uh, comes from this root word, dikaios. And I only give you a bit of Greek every so often so you know that I actually do work in the week as well as on a Sunday. The word is uh, justify or righteous. Whenever you see the word here in Galatians, justify or the word righteous, the same word is behind those two words. It's an incredibly significant word biblically. And the meaning of this word means, means to make or to render right, to make something or somebody right, or to make something just. This word dikaios is also the basis of the word for justice in Scripture. 
So what does that mean in a social context? Well, for somebody to be made right in a social context could be for two people to be in right standing with each other. For somebody to be in good standing with another person, that would be for them to be justified. In a legal context, and that's, this is the primary context where this word is used, usually around uh, this time, it would be to be declared into, in the right. If a judge handed down a, a sentence uh, not guilty, that would be a declaration of that you were justified. You'd be declared to be in the right. In other words, it's not a moral verdict. It is a, a statement of standing. But the, the primary thing that's going on here, as Paul uses this word, isn't about social status, nor is it about legal status. This is about status before God. Paul's saying that to be justified is to be in right standing with God. And one scholar said that when God considers people righteous or justified, remember those words are translatable, they are being affirmed as acceptable people. People of value or worth. So really, this is what we've been saying all the way through the letter to Galatians, that what's at stake here, what Paul is talking about, what he's zoning in on with this word justification, to be justified, to be righteous, is about being somebody who experiences themselves, who is in the sight of God as worthy. Who doesn't want that? You came to church, did you think you wanted to be justified? I don't know, but you do want it now. Is there a single human being in the whole of the universe, past, present, future? That's the other one. Who doesn't want this experience of being right with God, of being in right standing with others. This is such an important thing to be approved of, to be acceptable, to be valuable. How do we get that? How can we achieve that? How can we attain that? How can we absorb that? For Paul, he actually begins this thing with a negative example. Here's how you can't do it. He says, you don't get it by works of the law. But what are works of the law? Yeah, we know that a person is justified not by works of the law. Well, what Paul's talking about here with this language of works of the law aren't good works in general. He's not saying that you can't get justification just by sort of helping grannies across the road. No offense to grannies here, but that, you know, that's, or, or grandpas or others, but he's, he's saying this isn't about good works in general, although you cannot be justified by those things. But Paul is using this as a bit more of a technical term. It refers back to what he's been saying throughout about the Jewish law. He's saying that by following the Jewish law, that isn't enough. The burden of the Jew, fulfilling the Jewish, the burden of the Jewish law does not lead to justification. He uses a word in uh, Galatians 2.14. He says, how is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Jewish customs, living in a Jewish way. That's what the works of the law are. And Paul's saying that those in and of themselves are, are not going to get us to this place of experiencing ourselves as worthy before God. 
Well, what might this mean for us? There probably isn't a single person in this room, or maybe there's one or two, but probably very few, who are following the Jewish law. So what would this mean for us today? Well, by analogy, we might suggest that Paul's argument here would lead us to refute and refuse any attempt to establish and secure ourselves before God by any external standard whatsoever. This argument should lead us to abandon any attempt to secure our approval before the God before God on the basis of any external measurement. All of the projects I gave you at the beginning, project self, project competition, whatever it is for you, whatever desire, whatever blank we might want to fill in, Paul's argument here that the works of the law for us may stand for any attempt to secure ourselves before God by being just a little bit more this or just a bit more that. Or indeed, by any internal measure. Because today, let's be honest, we we live in a world where identity is not so much just externally given, but it's internally created. Identity is something that we ourselves bring to the table, and we measure ourselves by what we feel any given day. But again, our feelings about who we are are also insufficient to create a sense of worth and meaning. And so if our approval before God doesn't rest on these factors, where does it reside? Well, Paul has an answer for us. But he says, not by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. The Greek here is pistis, meaning faith. Christu, meaning Christ. And Paul is offering here, this is the only solid basis for living in confidence. Not in the Jewish law, not in any external criteria, not in even your own feeling about yourself on a given day. Not an internal confidence. Not commitment to the right justice cause. Not by any human activity. Not by belonging to the latest group not by garnering the correct number of social media followers, not by any other source, but simply and only by trust in what God has done for us on the basis of Jesus, in Jesus Christ. As one theologian, Paul Tillich, put it, faith, trust in Jesus, is the courage to accept acceptance. The only way argues Paul, to come to the place of experiencing and knowing that you are in right standing before God, that God accepts you as you are now, not as you should be, because you'll never be as you should be. As you are now, the only way to that is accepting what God has done for you In Christ Jesus. That is the gospel. Not performance. Simply grace. And as Paul reminds the church, we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ. What he's doing as he says this is, is to 
bring them back into rehearsing their story. Is this if he's saying, this is how it happened for you. You didn't do anything. You didn't say anything. You didn't join the right cause. He's like, he's like he's saying, I came, I preached this message, you accepted it, as we will see next week, you were filled with the Holy Spirit, and all at once you understood it, and it dropped from your hearing into your head, down into, down into your heart, and it changed your life, and you experienced that as a complete shift in your mode of existence. It wasn't just theology. And it wasn't just activism, it was transformation. That's how you experienced it. It changed your lives. And all at once, you felt yourselves to be different. No longer did you feel you needed to prove yourself to anyone else. And you didn't feel the need to prove yourself to God any longer either. And and then it's as if Paul begins to get excited by his theme and he begins to sketch out his own story. He says this, through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. This is Paul's own story that by trusting in Christ, it meant turning his back on everything he had previously understood to be necessary to establish himself before God. And that by faith in Jesus, he'd come to a place where he saw that stuff was no longer essential. In fact, it was no longer necessary. All that mattered was Christ. The only thing that counted was trusting in Christ. Here's how one theologian sums it up. What Peter and Paul have discovered through experience and reflection is that the one thing that counts before God is being wrapped up in the death and resurrection of Christ. They previously thought that practicing the Mosaic law, that is the Jewish law, was integral to their good standing before God. But now they realize, in the wake of the Christ gift, that it is non-essential. The only thing that does, and thus the only thing of ultimate value, is trust in Christ. Not because of the human act of trust, but because of what is trusted. That is Christ. The one thing that counts, counts for everyone, Jew and non-Jew, is being considered righteous in Christ. That is being accounted of worth before God on the basis of the death and resurrection of Christ. That's it. The one thing that counts. There's only one thing that counts. You know, we in the church are not different to anyone else. When we wake up in the morning, we want the same thing as anyone else. We want to know we're okay. We want to know our lives have meaning. We want to know we have value. We want to know there is a purpose. We want to know that we matter. 
We want to know that we're justified, that our existence is justified, that we matter to someone. What we really, really want to know most of all is that we matter to God. There isn't a human being that doesn't need to know that they matter. And fundamentally, the thing that makes the difference in human life is when a human life, when a human person understands that he or she belongs to God, that God accepts you or I. When we, when we understand that we are accepted and treasured and held and nurtured and loved by God as we are now, not as we should be, that makes all the difference. And that is called justification. And it comes through grace. And it's received through faith. And the best word for faith is trust. And you can't do it on your own, and I can't do it on my own. But I tell you this, if a world that, goodness knows what the world thinks the church believes anymore, but if they knew we believed this, they'd be flocking to hear it. Flocking! Because what would your life feel like if you knew and fully understood that you never needed to justify yourself to anyone ever again? What would that feel like? Just, just humor me. Tomorrow morning, you open your eyes. The first thing you think is, I don't care what's going on at work today. It doesn't matter. I cannot be any more accepted than I am now. Lying in this bed, it doesn't get any better than that. I've got this presentation at work. I've got to get my kids to school. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. The things which matter most to me have already been secured for me. As I lie in this bed, I am as acceptable as I will ever be. That's dramatic, folks. That's massive. You know, we began by saying that sometimes we can feel as if by achieving something, we can add to our existence. We can prove that we're okay. That if we were able to live up to an external standard or indeed an internal standard, the internal critic, that we could be more valuable. But the good news we've heard today is that there's nothing we can do to improve our status before God. We are, through Christ, justified by faith. Not by what we've done, but by what he has done for us. And all that remains for us is to have the courage to accept acceptance. That's known as faith. That's trust. Crucially, though, this new way of thinking, this new way of living is based in reality. And this is how it differs from the self-esteem movement. Because the self-esteem movement has absolutely no foundation. Unfortunately, try as I might, I had to give up my dream to be a professional footballer at one stage when I just realized there wasn't enough talent there. But you know, 
you or I doesn't have to give up our dream to be acceptable before God. Because that acceptance comes from what God has achieved on our behalf. The the crux, and I use that word advisedly, pun intended. The crux of the matter is the cross of Jesus Christ. An objective happening, a historical reality. Christ died for our sins and was raised on the third day. And that forms the basis of all of what I've been saying. In fact, all of what Paul has been saying. And because of that, it is no longer I that lives, nor you that lives. Whatever you dragged in the door, whatever attempts you dragged here to justify yourselves, they are dead and gone. They are buried with Christ. And now it is not you, your performance, your failures, your successes that live. It is Christ that lives in you and through you. That's good news, folks. I'm not going to lie to you. That's the best news you're going to hear today. This is based in reality. What difference does it make? Well, when you catch this, and when the Holy Spirit, as he is going to be doing all across this room today, brings this alive in your heart, it is like living your life no longer with a comma, but after the most fulsome exclamation point. And it feels like Freedom. Freedom is what it feels like. It's a fresh start. And that's why, as we'll explore in weeks to come, Paul launches into an exposition of what freedom in the gospel means. Because when we're not trying to achieve or perform our righteousness before others, and instead are free to receive it, we are then freed up to be the people Christ created us to be. Church, you cannot perform your worth. You cannot create it. Any attempt to secure it by any means other than faith in Christ will fail you. And it will only leave you distance from him and even from the man and woman he created you to be. You can only receive something as precious as who you are. Thanks be to God that gift is yours in Christ Jesus. And now all that remains is for us to accept it. Let's pray. Father, we are exhausted. Exhausted. I'll speak for myself. I am exhausted with attempts to secure my life with attempts to justify myself. Father, with my attempts to make myself secure in a world which feels ever less secure, I'm probably not the only one. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for my sin. You were raised for my justification. Thank you that you and you alone justify my existence. 
Thank you that I can receive the identity justified through you. And Holy Spirit, I am asking you, I am asking you now, implant, imprint that. Implant it and imprint it now, God, in hearts. Not hearts, God, in souls. Across this room, God, break the power of other identities. God, we, we have sought so many other things. God, forgive us. Forgive us, God. But don't just forgive us, liberate us. God, we, we can't even see them. We can't even see our futile attempts unless you show us. God, decimate our attempts to justify ourselves. Oh God, forgive us from trying to be nice people. Acceptable people. Smiley people. Goodness only knows what else. Thank you that because of what you've done for us, we are justified people. It was the grace to accept this.